0: Carla Manserru is a cancer thriver living with metastatic breast cancer. Carla was originally diagnosed with breast cancer in 2003. 11 years later, a metastatic cancer challenge arose. With a goal to live to be 100, this did not align, and so Carla began to manage the hell out of this challenge. Carla, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story today.
1: Thank you, Andrea. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: As I said before I hit record, I'm just so honored that you are here and I know so many people are going to learn from you. So can you take us back to that first journey with breast cancer back in 2003?
1: Yeah, of course. So um, back in 2003, when I was originally diagnosed with breast cancer, early stage breast cancer diagnosis, but at the age of 37. And I had a two-year-old and a five-year-old at the time and a fairly new career. And so it was pretty devastating and pretty scary. And back in 2003, there wasn't a whole lot of internet yet. And so I really did the only thing I knew, which was to find the best oncologist in Chicago that I could find, the best breast surgeon I could find, and I did the conventional route. So I had the mastectomy, then chemotherapy, then radiation, and then five years of tamoxifen, and the bulk of that before the tamoxifen was really over and done in nine months, and I got through it relatively easily. I think my age and my good health and all of that was um, certainly on my side. Not to mention my optimistic nature. So I just happen to have a mindset that's very positive, and I think that serves me very well in this situation. And so um, I really just did what I had to do and then went back to living my life. With the onset of the chemotherapy was coming, I knew I'd be losing my hair. And I'm like, don't want to do this by myself. I don't want to be alone standing in the shower with clumps of hair falling out. Don't want to find it on my pillow when I wake up in the morning. We're just going to shave it off now and get it over with. And I've always had short hair. So a lot of people are like, oh, it's easier when you have short hair. Well, it's, hair's hair. I mean, right, it is. <laughs> nobody's used to being bald until they become bald. I had a head shaving party. My husband took the two boys out for the evening and I had my girlfriends come over and everybody took a swipe with the, with the shaver and took some hair off. My, my sons and husband came back later after it was all over with. And the uh, the five year old looked at me, I had a little hat on, you know, friends had brought scarves or hats or whatever. And I was wearing a little hat and Alex wanted to know, you know, like, what are you wearing? Why, mom? And and I'm like, go ahead take it off. So he pops it off my head, looks at me and he says, zoinks. (laughs) (laughs) Now, admittedly, he had been watching a lot of Scooby Doo in those days. (laughs) so they had to be (laughs) reruns. exactly exactly but um it was just the cutest reaction and it just it set the tone um i think the way i handled things and reacted to everything really set the tone for my boys they were so young they didn't really know but if i had been scared and anxious and you know really upset in front of them then that's how they would have been and so the next morning after the head shaving party I got up, got ready for work, put on a wig, got the boys up, got them ready to go to daycare. And they looked at me and they went, no, mommy, no, they did not like this wig on my head. They didn't, they could tell it wasn't real. They didn't like it. So I took it off. They said that was better. We went on our morning, got them to school. I got to work. I think I'd put a little hat on or something, but I got to work. I got to the office and I asked my colleagues, I'm like, all right, what do you guys think? took the hat off, put the wig on, and everybody's like, no, no wig. So I never wore it again. It just didn't suit me, and I never wore it again. I just went bald, or I wore scarves or hats. Wow. Yeah. How
0: did you even know that you had cancer? I mean, how did that diagnosis happen?
1: Unfortunately, it was a bit of a Christmas present. Um, It was Christmas Eve, and when Santa and Mrs. Claus were done setting up for Christmas Eve, Things went, you know, where they might go and I actually felt the lump on my own. And I thought, oh, this isn't this isn't right. I've never felt that before. And of course, the next day I it was Christmas and, um, you know, I kept feeling it going. It's not right. So as soon as I could, you know, it was probably the following Monday or something. I called my um, gynecologist, got in for an appointment that week. Um, she's like, yep, I can feel it too. Let's get you, you know, in for a mammogram, get you in, you know, and then I think they even did a, an ultrasound and confirmed that, um, there was something there that was very suspicious, scheduled the biopsy for early January after the holidays. And once I had the biopsy, it was confirmed infiltrating ductal carcinoma. And there was, um, actually two lumps one that I could feel and one that I couldn't. And so, um, a lumpectomy was not recommended, a mastectomy was, so I went for a bilateral mastectomy, asked all the questions about saving my nipple and saving my breast and what can we do? And and with the two lumps, it just had to be the mastectomy. And of course, back in 2003, there was no nipple saving either. I think that's something very new that might be starting to happen. but they did a skin sparing mastectomy for me but skin sparing is so they are really um cutting out a a circle around your areola and then scooping out the tissue so that they don't have to replace too much of the skin itself they just have that little that little pocket of skin and that little spot to put some some stuff back in and i went for a free flap reconstruction so at the time of surgery the breast surgeon removed the breast, did the lymph node dissection, and then the breast surgeon came in and did the reconstruction. And what he did for me was take skin and a little bit of muscle from my tummy. So I had just enough little baby fat there from having two pregnancies that they were able to fill that breast back up to um, you know, the size C breast that I had. And they did it as a free flap. So in some cases when they do breast reconstruction they're just pulling the 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 tissue and the the muscle rather up or from the back and in this case he cut it all put it in microsurgically reconnected it it was quite a lengthy procedure um everything went well and and i was good to go so i have real tissue which is you know i don't have an implant i don't have a foreign thing in my body and um it's supposed to Get thin, You know, if I grow, I, I gain weight, lose weight, the breast should also. Um, it's worked very well for me. It looks good in clothing. I'm happy with having done that procedure. And the silver lining was the tummy tuck out of the deal.
0: <laughs> I love it. Right? Uh, prior to this, you were very young. You said 37, correct?
1: Correct. Yeah. Had you
0: had a mammogram
1: prior to No, this? not at 37. No.
0: Any, any, I know usually it's not genetic, but any history of breast cancer in
1: your family? Nope. None. Nothing genetic. Did all the genetic testing. There were different types of cancer, but no, nothing genetic. So who knows? I've got lots of theories on what might've caused it and what, what contributed to it. I firmly believe that there are a lot of different things that can contribute to the body getting out of balance, out of homeostasis. Um, But there's not any one thing that anybody ever does to, to cause their own cancer, for goodness sake. So, you know, what's the point of trying to go back other than to think about what can I change in order to go forward and not see this again?
0: What is one of your theories and what did you change?
1: One of my theories was the the need for external validation. So I was constantly looking for and seeking external validation and approval. I did not really feel I was enough I needed to know from others that I was enough, either from men when I was younger, from my career, getting the accolades and the, you know, doing things and being told, you know, oh, you're awesome, that was great. You know, just really, really seeking that kind of validation. And and much later I learned that, um, you know, this theory came up after my metastatic diagnosis. And I did a lot of work to love myself, to believe that I am enough exactly as I am, that I don't need anybody to tell me that I am lovable and that I am good at what I do or just good because I am. And so I went through a lot of those lessons after my metastatic diagnosis.
0: And after your first diagnosis, what change did you make, if any, like a specific change, just so people kind of understand you had that thought process and then what action did you take?
1: Actually, that thought process and actions came later. So unfortunately, I didn't make any changes afterwards. I didn't know any better. I didn't have those kinds of resources. I had to (laughs) debate with my husband and my breast surgeon and oncologist just to get acupuncture to help me through chemotherapy. Nobody wanted me to do acupuncture in 2003 because they didn't know what it would do. They didn't want the needles in me, you know, and like other than conventional oncology, they weren't looking at anything else. Um, and this was a large teaching hospital in, in Chicago. Um, they have had then an integrative department, but it was a different department two blocks away down the street. So it wasn't really integrative. Yeah, and, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's like, oh, you've got an integrative department. That, that doesn't really make sense. You've got a complementary medicine department, maybe. But So unfortunately, I just went back to living my life. I had those two little kids, I had that career. I was just interested in getting back to normal, whatever normal is, and didn't realize that I should have been making changes because what I know now is that you need to change the environment in which cancer grows if you expect it not to come back. That chemotherapy goes in and kills those cancer cells that are right there, right then. What changes those cancer cells from being able to grow and not die off in the way that they're supposed to?
0: Okay, so you go back to your life, you're normal. Yeah. Two young boys. Yep. Tell us about any health issues that came up and then take us to your most recent diagnosis.
1: Okay, sure. Yeah, those, um, those years were really everything was fine. I even was on tamoxifen for five years and relatively no side effects. The whole chemotherapy, everything put me into a medically induced menopause. I came back out of it, you know, kind of bounced in and out of it for a while. Um, So I can't say that my menstrual cycle was really regular, but um, things seemed to be back to normal. And I wasn't noticing any side effects from taking tamoxifen. However, um, you know, I continued to live the way i lived i thought i had a healthy diet but i was eating the standard american diet salads and veggies don't really make up a healthy diet if you're eating loads of dairy and meat and other things and not organic and not grass-fed and all those things that we know about our um, food products now and so That didn't necessarily serve me well, but the cancer must have been super slow growing because I made my five-year and my 10-year cancerversary, and I thought I was in the clear. I thought, okay, great. Ten years, this is never coming back. Eleven years later, it came back. It was metastatic cancer to the bone. I found it. um, One morning, I was traveling. I did international travel for my job. So stress, I think, played a big part in this as well, because I did have that that corporate job, I had that international travel, I was still seeking external validation. So I was working hard, I was working a lot, I was traveling a lot, but I remember specifically one morning in June of 2014 in a hotel room in Zurich, Switzerland, shaving my legs and feeling my left leg being very numb. And I thought, well, that's, weird. That's normal. I actually have a chiropractor that I see and light touch chiropractic and just adjust. And so he looked at, you know, maybe it's a pinched nerve. Let's do some work on you. But after a few weeks of him working on me, nothing changed. It was still the same, still numb. And when I would try to do lunges as while exercising that leg just would not hold me up. It would just, it's like, okay, something's not right here. And so I went to an orthopedic surgeon and the orthopedic took an x-ray of my leg and he said, everything looks fine in your knee and your leg, go to a, go to a, um, um, a neurologist and see what they can find. And it was November before I made my way to a neurologist and he put me through some excruciating tests because of the numbness. I'm like, they literally take a needle and poke you with it different places on the nerves. I'm like, yeah, I I do feel that. (laughs) It hurts. (laughs) Yeah. But they did an MRI and I think I was there on a Thursday and I expected and he's like the results, you know, next week we'll call you and let you know. Well, I got a call on a Friday afternoon with the results because he was, uh, it, it seemed just a little freaked out on my behalf. There was something suspicious on my spine. And he had already called my general practitioner and he said, I, you've got some suspicious stuff going on here. I've called your general practitioner. She's waiting to hear from you. She's ready to see you this afternoon. So of course, talk about freaking out. It was my turn to freak out. But I went and saw my GP and met with her. And of course, there wasn't a lot she could tell me or do for me, but reassured me. My husband came with. Um, And it was a Friday afternoon. Right. I would have preferred he kept those results to himself till Monday. But hey, (laughs) he felt like they needed to be addressed right away. You know, she was absolutely lovely to just have me come into her office that afternoon to talk about it, even though she couldn't really do much for me. What she did do to help me, though, was to put a call into my um, conventional oncologist that I had been seeing when i called the following monday to get a hold of his office they considered me a new patient because i hadn't been there in over 5 years like oh great i need to wait for a new patient appointment i can't wait with my doctor's my gp's help and then having been a patient of his and the news getting on to him he called me and we were able to talk but i'm going to back up just for a minute because that weekend was absolutely excruciating um when you get a metastatic diagnosis of any kind but metastatic breast cancer diagnosis for me was terrifying i thought this is it i'm i'm gonna die this means it's all over my body and what they told me from this mri was that it was in my hips it was in my pelvis it was in my spine it was in my ribs it was in my clavicle i'm like it's everywhere what am i going to do
0: so they did tell you it was metastatic breast cancer that they were positive
1: well they didn't know for sure you've got a history of breast cancer and now we see it in the bone we think your cancer has metastasized.
0: Got it. Okay. All right. And of so... course, they
1: won't know for sure if it's the same primary cancer until they do a biopsy and things like that. But this is the presumption that was being made. And of course, cancer in your bones is scary, whether it's metastatic or bone cancer. We happen to have a family therapist that we'd been seeing. My One of my sons had some learning disabilities and different issues that we had started seeing this therapist and we happened to have an appointment planned with her on Saturday. We decided not to take the boys. They were they were teenagers, they were preteen teenagers, so young teenagers. We left them at home, we went and saw her, we told her what was going on and she had the best advice ever. Don't tell the boys anything until you know more about what this is and how you're gonna deal with it. Yeah. They don't need to be scared like you are, and if you can't give them any answers when you tell them about this, it's just going to be really, really scary for them. So we had to sit with it ourselves all weekend, my husband and I. Um, I don't know how we made it through the weekend without the boys figuring something was up, um, but we did. And on Monday, I had an opportunity to talk to my oncologist, and bless his heart, I will be forever grateful to him because he said to me, This is a chronic disease we can manage.
0: Let's take a break and hear from one of our sponsors. Our new sponsor, Side Effect Support, is an online resource for cancer patients, caregivers, and healthcare providers to reduce harmful oral side effects of chemotherapy and radiation. Created by a registered dental hygienist who has worked in the dental field for 30 years, Side Effect Support offers affordable over-the-counter and prescription oral healthcare products that ease the side effects of treatment while also protecting oral health. Go to sideeffectsupport.com. That's sideeffectsupport.com. Get 10% off your first order with the coupon code CANCERU.
1: And that's when I decided I was going to manage the hell out of it. <laughs> so, like okay, I have a background in project management. I know how to manage things and I am super organized and super driven, and I am going to manage this. Fast forward through the biopsies and all of that, which they never actually got a clean biopsy. Bone is very hard to biopsy, and apparently it was caught early enough. So they decided to treat it as if it was the cancer I had previously, which was hormone receptor positive cancer. We started immediately on um, an aromatase inhibitor, and I immediately started a Full lifestyle change I was going to change everything because I realized at that time I didn't change anything before I got to change everything now if I want to get rid of this and keep this away and so I hired a cancer coach and I dug into my lifestyle um, food was first uh, supplements uh, the way I exercised you know, the way I oxygenated, getting more oxygen, doing more deep breathing, more meditation, you know, so many different things that I really dug into. I went for a couple of months and started to see an immediate response. Um, By February, my leg wasn't falling out from underneath me anymore. Um, They had made me start using a cane, my husband insisted, um, because that leg kept falling down. And you can imagine being 49 years old and walking around with a cane, How you know, not fun, that would be. February, no, it was February when I started to see things receding, I could tell a difference. Um, The last time that I had fallen was on New Year's Day of, you know, 2015, when I was in the kitchen and had a glass in my hand and was walking across the kitchen and I fell and the glass fell and it broke and of course there was a big freak out because people don't normally just fall down and break glasses. Um, By February, things seemed to be receding. I could feel the difference in the numbness receding, in the leg working better, and so I kept at my lifestyle changes and continued to look at whatever toxins in my life I could control. So I cleaned up my household cleaning products, I cleaned up my personal care and beauty products, I got rid of all the toxins. Um, I just did so much to support my health in order to get my body back in in balance and back to homeostasis.
0: Can you tell us one thing you did regarding food? And also, I'm just so intrigued, one thing you did regarding exercise.
1: I had actually just a few months before, maybe three months before the diagnosis, had embarked on a real food challenge. Cutting out processed food, cutting out meat and dairy. So when the diagnosis came up, like, okay, we are going to completely eliminate meat, red meat from here forward, and sugar. I stopped sugar cold turkey. Nothing with sugar in it. No more alcohol, no more baked goods with sugar in it. I looked at every product that I bought and put in my mouth and made sure there was no added sugar. I even stopped eating the fruits and vegetables that were high in sugar. Now, I've added those back into my diet, but in initially I really wanted to get a handle on this and so i was eating vegetables <laughs> and that was Imagine quite a different <laughs> yeah that was quite a difference though to do nothing but vegetables right and to try to figure out what do i feed myself for three meals a day if all i can have is vegetables so it was a bit of a challenge and there were definitely some tears and some you know struggles and some anger and frustration over it but i eventually Figured it out, and that's the way I eat today, and that's the lifestyle that is just going to be part of my life until I make it to that 100th birthday that I so want to see.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: Yeah. And what about
0: exercise? Because so much of the time people aren't active, right? But you were active.
1: I was active, but I wasn't, I didn't love exercise, so I had never been really athletic and really into exercise. I did it because you know, it was the right thing to do. But I definitely stepped up my game. What I learned was important was to sweat. And so high intensity interval training was something that I that I started to do and then to just make it a much more regular thing. So not just once a week with a personal trainer and a couple of classes, but five days a week exercising. And I still struggle a little bit with that because I really don't love to exercise and sweat. But (laughs) I have found things that do um, do work for me. So I'm big into yoga and Pilates and rebounding. I have a mini trampoline that I rebound on, which is a great lymphatic workout also makes me sweat, I can put on my music and just dance on a rebounder and, you know, wiggle around and all of that and break a sweat from that. And that's enjoyable to me.
0: Okay, I didn't even know that was a thing, so I think I would actually really enjoy
1: Yeah, that. just, you know, get yourself a little rebounder. You can buy a Cadillac or you can buy a little cheap one for under $100. And, I uh, love it. And there's lots it. of rebounding workouts on YouTube and, you know, people that teach you all the moves that you can make. And it's extremely beneficial for your lymph system because your lymph system, and being a breast cancer survivor, it's important to move your lymph system it doesn't have anything to pump it. Like your heart pumps your blood. There's nothing that pumps your lymph system. So unless you're moving it, it's stagnant. Yeah, and they say, too, that just 10 to 15 minutes on the rebounder can be equivalent to a 40-minute run. Well, I'd much nice. rather do 10 minutes yeah. than 40. <laughs>
0: well, it just sounds like more fun, right? <laughs> <Just> yeah, exactly. <laughs> My challenge with exercise what has been – I was a ballet dancer for 17 years. Ah, So it was two or three ballet classes a day. I went to performing arts high school. All of those classes are always constantly preparing you for some performance. There's always a goal. And then in my early 30s, I started doing marathons and I'm not a great runner. I'm horrible, but, but I'm a fast walker. And with marathons, I found I was able to commit to exercising five days a week because I had to be able to finish that marathon. And then when I stopped doing marathons, I really struggled being consistent and it took me figuring out what the issue was. And it was, if I don't have a long-term goal, then I don't really care as much. Even though I love yoga, I love dancing. And so I've really had to find now that internal motivation and also to what your point is, find exercise that I just enjoy. Mm -hmm. I I don't enjoy running, I wish I did, I just don't.
1: Yeah, it really is key to make it something that that you like and then also whether there's a short-term goal or that you can just keep your um, long-term goal. So, you know, longevity, your health, right? you know, overcoming cancer or never having cancer. And exercise is one of the biggest things they've studied and found that it is so beneficial to keeping cancer away or keeping a recurrence away. So it's really important that people do find the kind of exercise they that they like. And really, having a mindset shift from exercise and thinking of it as some You know strenuous thing that you have to do to thinking about it as physical movement and activity helps people because gardening is exercise house cleaning is exercise it actually house cleaning will burn calories and you know you break a sweat when you're really mopping and sweeping and cleaning
0: what was your worst moment
1: Mm. all of this i'm going to say besides the diagnosis itself the worst moment that I have from the from the treatment from the first cancer going through chemotherapy was the neuropathy. So the side effects of chemotherapy and the neuropathy in my hands, and the only relief I could find from that was to keep my hands in um, ice cold water or to take a Valium and go to sleep. Otherwise, I just felt like I it would feel so much better if we could just chop my hands off. So that neuropathy was just the worst. And so many people deal with neuropathy. And I don't know if my memory is bad or if back in 2003 when I was going through chemotherapy, they just hadn't figured this out yet or my doctor hadn't figured it out yet. But they were like, hmm, that's weird. Like, that, that's it? Yeah, that's that's all you're going to give me is that's weird and, and there's nothing you can do to help me with this. But honestly, I don't know that there is a lot even today that really helps with the neuropathy. When when you have neuropathy, it typically hits your fingers, your hands, your feet, and it feels like this um, tingling sensation. Like when you sat on your foot too long and it's fallen asleep and you've got that pins and needles feeling, it's that times a hundred. And it doesn't go away after you wake that little foot back up. It is there constantly and it's just excruciating. So, I mean, you gotta keep your hands in bowls of ice water to be relieved from it. That's not that's not good. Now I know that acupuncture can help and I was doing acupuncture to help me with the nausea and the fatigue of the chemotherapy which definitely helped, but the neuropathy it didn't. It didn't do that much, and um, luckily it was short term. I do say when I say to people that I got through the chemotherapy relatively easily. You know, not too much. Not not really any side effects or anything because I didn't have the nausea. I did have some fatigue, but you know, it was after a cumulative effect. But my husband will look at me with the, like, "What <laughs> do you not remember?" Right? Have you blocked like, it all out? <laughs> oh yes, that neuropathy thing. I remember now. Yeah. So that, that was really the worst part of treatment, but, but ultimately the worst was the metastatic diagnosis and just the fear that came up from that you know diagnosis and not understanding what that meant. So for me, as a hormone receptor positive breast cancer, metastatic breast cancer thriver, I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones because hormone receptor positive cancer is easier to treat. I don't have to do chemotherapy. I'm doing aromatase inhibitors. I'm doing um, CDK inhibitors. So I'm taking meds, and I also am very lucky in that I'm not having side effects from those meds either. Um, when my when I talk to my oncologist, you know, they always ask any side effects, anything new. I'm like, I don't know. Is it the drugs or is it menopause? Because I am 55 now. I was 49 when I was diagnosed with metastatic. I was luckily already in menopause just at that time. Otherwise they would want to give me another injection of some other drug to put me into menopause. And um, I really prefer to have as few drugs as possible. Being in menopause, you get side effects, right? Your hair starts to thin, you um, can have vaginal dryness, you can have the hot flashes. You, you know, All of that was going on, I'm like, is that the drugs or is that the menopause? And are we intensifying the menopause because the, the aromatase inhibitors are stripping the estrogen from my body so that it doesn't feed the cancer? But still relatively easy for me. My hot flashes were never anything that made me break out in a you know deep sweat or wake up in the middle of the night sweating and wet. I would wake up in the middle of the night and turn a fan on, but that is past now, thankfully, and um, I certainly don't wish that on anybody because um, it is not fun. <laughs> but, um, you know, the the side effects from my treatment, like I said, are, are relatively easily, and I just feel so blessed. And I, I think a lot of it is my lifestyle and my mindset.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Um, and we could have a whole different interview about menopause.
1: Yes, we could. <laughs> <laughs> a whole different.
0: Um, what was your best
1: moment in all of this? The best moment, I you know, there there's definitely a learning from from this. Learning that, so I can't say that there's this one moment, but learning that I am enough, doing that work of, figuring out that exactly who I am and how I am when I wake up out of bed in the morning is enough and that I can love myself. That learning um, really, I think, is the best moment. For me, I know some people really get upset about thinking of cancer as a gift, but if you think of it as a learning experience, as something to grow from, I have embraced that and I have absolutely learned about myself and about the world, and I have no doubt that I'm gonna make that 100th birthday. I just have a knowing, and I just live my life as if I'm gonna make it to 100. I do take much better care of myself now because of what I've learned and because of all those lifestyle changes and that deep emotional um, and spiritual work that I've done.
0: If you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., and I'm so curious about your answer. <laughs> what would it be and why?
1: If I could only pick one thing about a healthcare in the US, I've thought about this and I'm actually um, in the beginning of my journey into advocacy for this. And I feel like it's very uh, a very big <laughs> fight. It's daunting because it probably involves taking on big pharma big insurance and big medical, because I would like to see true integrative medicine available to everyone. I would like for every single person with cancer and before they get cancer or some other diagnosis to know that lifestyle is huge, that the food you put in your mouth so matters. That's foundational. Don't even bother with supplements if your diet's crap. Eat a good diet first. And that doesn't mean the standard American diet with salads that are loaded with croutons and cheese and heavy dressings with sugar in them. It it, they so I don't know. Maybe I want to take on the big three or maybe I need to take on big food because the food that people eat today is so not real food. Um, I love this. Quote from Michael Pollan, eat food, not too much mostly plants. Right? Yeah. Yeah, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. So it doesn't mean you can't ever have a steak again. It just means you're going to have it a lot less often, a much smaller portion and a much higher quality steak when you do eat it. Another quote that I love that one of my one of my clients just mentioned the other day, she was told, if it's a plant, eat it. If it's from a plant, don't eat it. So anything that's manufactured is what you should eliminate right. or very drastically reduce so that you're not eating a lot of processed foods. So yeah. I'm sorry, I just split that into the two things I want to <laughs> take in. I want I, integrative yeah. medicine to be truly integrative and available to everybody in the medical centers, not where we have to go dig up an integrative doctor that we can work with and try to form a team and then have that doctor not agree with that doctor and have the two of them telling you two different things and then you're caught in the middle and then have insurance cover it. Yeah.
0: This is a common theme that comes up, so I I agree with you. Um, I think big food is going to be much harder than big pharma. Mm. I really
1: do. They're both going to be hard because, Yeah. yeah. But... You know if everybody does a little bit to help in these movements and you know we are seeing some changes in our food right look at how many companies are scrambling to produce those um non-dairy products and the uh, meat substitutes and 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 things like that right still processed food but they're seeing that people want something different they want something better um but but sugar is still so prevalent in so many packaged products And it's the fat and the sugar that makes things taste good that make you want more of it. It's it's truly addictive. Yeah. That sugar hits the same spot that that opioids hit that, you know, and and so you know, when you you get a sugar addiction, you need more sugar to feel that that relax and that nice high you get from eating sugar.
0: Yeah. Whew, big battle. Big battle. Yeah. All right. Are you ready? for the Thriver rapid-fire questions. Let's do it. Okay. Beach, desert, or mountains?
1: Mm, I'm going to choose the mountains.
0: Interesting.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Beach boys, beetles, or rolling stones?
1: Oh, wow. I'm going to have to go rolling stones on that one.
0: What is one word that best describes you?
1: Optimistic.
0: Oh, my gosh, that was the word in my head. <laughs> I almost never get that right, but I always um just have whatever word pops into my head. I love it. My impression of the person, like, mm-hmm. you know, in the mm-hmm. last, you know, 30 minutes or whatever. And that was the word in my head immediately. So Love it. Love it. Um, before You Die, what is the last song you want to hear?
1: Oh, gosh. I'm so bad with song titles and names. I have a son that's a guitar player <laughs> He's like... Mom, you should know that name, you know, that song. Um, I just love happy, upbeat music. It would probably have to be something that I can dance to.
0: Yeah, I, I feel that. And what is the last meal, speaking of food, you want to eat?
1: last meal that I would want to eat would be, oh, I do have so many favorites. Um, veggie meals what would the last one be Um, I think the the food matters less and the company matters more I would want my last meal to be spent with as many of my loved ones and friends as possible with nothing but real whole healthy food on the table
0: and that is a beautiful segue into the next question the last person you want to see
1: mmm well, my husband's older than I am, and he has no intention of making it to 100, so I'm not going to name him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love the logic, That's very
1: thoughtful logic. In right? Like, so yeah. Awesome. Um, if he tries to make it to 100 with me, I'll probably kill him first, but um, we've been married for 30 years, and it's, it's been, you know, how marriages are. It's been great. <laughs> he likes to say, it feels like 10 minutes underwater. <laughs> <laughs> I like him. <laughs> yeah, he's he's cute, he's cute. But I have two sons and I hope to have um, some grandchildren um, one day and I, I would say those are the faces that I would like to see before I go, surrounding me. And, you know, at, a, at over 100, they're going to probably be, Mom, would you please just die already? You've been <laughs> around forever, please go. But I hope that... Um, that I will be able to die a peaceful death, whether I know it's coming or not, but that's those faces, the faces of the people I love is who I'd want to be around me.
0: Yeah. And what are the last words you're going to speak?
1: You know, I guess I'm thinking of like advice I would give people. It's like, live your life to the fullest and live as if. Live the life you want to have, not necessarily the life you have at this moment because if you're living as if, and you're projecting into something better, something more, something improved over what you've got, it's likely to come true for you.
0: That is great advice. It really yeah.
1: is. Yeah, thanks.
0: Aside from Cancer You, what is one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And I want you to talk about yourself and definitely talk about the connection to radical remission.
1: Thank you. Yes. So my um, my health coaching work is focused on holistic cancer coaching. And the resource that I love best is, of course, the website I have with my partners called Health Navigators. And the website is healthnavs.com. And we have based our work off of the book Radical Remission and the second book that dr kelly turner wrote called radical hope so my partners and i two other women also go have gone through the certification to become radical remission teachers and coaches and with that radical remission book you there are those 10 healing factors that dr turner found radical remission survivors all utilized in order to overcome the odds and Um, She's got so many stories of people that have overcome the odds and reversed their cancer diagnosis either in remission or fully cured, and they're so inspiring, both of her books. And those 10 healing factors are very practical, doable lifestyle changes. Only one of them needs a practitioner, so people can apply these. And so I'm really passionate about sharing that work with people. Um, I was just thrilled to find the book through my own cancer journey. She wrote the book in 2015. I found it in 2015 or 2016. And I just went, ooh, check, check, check. I've got those. I'm like, ooh, I need to work on that, that, and that. But it was then, you know, so resonating with me and then became my, my guidebook. And the thing that I always recommend to other people is to read the book. It gives you hope, even when your conventional doctors don't. And in the new version, Radical Hope, Dr. Turner's brought in stories of people that are overcoming other illnesses, not just cancer, but also people like me that are taking an integrative approach. So the first book gets a bit of pushback, especially from the medical community, because it's all about people that overcame the odds after conventional treatment failed them or because they didn't use it at all. And so of course your medical doctor is not gonna embrace that because they want you to go through the chemotherapy and the radiation and all of the things they recommend but I and others have found that an integrative approach that conventional meds and these lifestyle changes can make the world of difference for people.
0: I only read the book a couple of years ago. I haven't read Radical Hope yet. I felt like everyone needed to know those things. And I I don't think a lot of those lifestyle changes are easy for everyone. I mean, I live in the Southeast now. I lived in LA all of my adult life and I think in certain parts of the com- country, people can are healthier. I think Colorado is still always the healthiest state. But certainly in California, there are just more resources. But mm-hmm. in the Southeast, people are very unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And even the options, they are available. There are healthy choices available. But those grocery stores that have them are, are spread farther apart. Mm-hmm. And okay. I'm not making yeah. excuses for people, but I, I do see... Um, And this is where your challenge with big food comes in. Mm -hmm. As long as we have fast food restaurants everywhere, as long as restaurants, which are slowly coming back after COVID, continue to serve portions that are three times the normal size, as long as that continues, I think it's really, really hard for people. But cancer does motivate people in a way that other types of health issues don't.
1: No, good point. You're right. It's not, I say they're easy, but I've been living this lifestyle now for six years or more and it's it's easy now. But I think I even mentioned earlier that when I tried to do the food thing that it, it was hard and I was in tears and it, it was a struggle. But there are steps that you can take and the more that people are asking for something different, the more that we'll get something different. But it's one of those things, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? The healthy fast food, like the real food, fast food joint or people asking for it, right? It is tough. Um, I know, just, you know, taking a road trip. My family, I'm originally from Kansas. I live in Illinois. Between here and there, a 12-hour drive, and what choice do I have but to drive into Burger King and get a Beyond Beef or a, um, a Impossible burger. So, That's right. <laughs> you know, at least there's that now. But these are things, though, that people can do. And you're right about the diagnosis being the motivation, finding a way to motivate and inspire people to do this before they get a diagnosis is another one of my um, challenges or opportunities. That I would really like to find a way, and you know, I start with my own family, and I have a very large family in Kansas, and Kansas isn't necessarily the healthiest place. I I met with an oncologist there once, and he happens to also be the owner of Fried Pies. Fried pies, you oh, no. No. That's, that's like pie. fried
0: Twinkies or something. Ooh. Fried pie
1: with meat in it, or fried pie with you know apples in it, or you know whatever kind of fried pie you want. And I'm like, wow, he is just creating his own source of income. He is feeding people the stuff right. that's the worst for them. Not that he's thinking of it that way. He called, you know, he's a self-proclaimed foodie. He loves food. Like, well, then pick good food. <laughs> but it is, it's a, it's a long road and a, and a tough road to make those big changes. So people really do have to do it on their own. But this is why I love this community that my colleagues and I have built. So as Radical Remission coaches and teachers, we came together, formed the Health Navigators, and we're really all about providing community and support for people that are on a journey. And so when you find yourself with a diagnosis and you want to do everything that you can, you don't wanna just follow doctor's orders and do the chemo and the radiation and take the pills, you wanna do more you'll find a community like ours to help you, right? How do I do this? What kind of resources do I have? Who else is doing this? When you find like-minded people that are doing what you want to do or you know you need to do but haven't figured it out yet, it's just so much easier. It's so helpful to know that you can come to a book club or come to a coaching group coaching session or come to the workshop, whatever it is. We offer all sorts of great stuff And find people that are trying to do the same thing you're trying to do. And then sharing success, sharing resources, and just sometimes laughing together or crying together.
0: Carla, if someone wants to get in touch with you, what would be the best way? Let's let them know how to
1: do that. Yeah. So they can reach me at Carla at KMGCoach.com. That's Carla with a K and they can go to the health navigators website which is healthnavsnavs.com on that website is lots of great information for people that are on a health journey okay we will put those links
0: in the show notes and the workshop notes carla thank you so so very much for sharing your story today and also your wellness
1: journey thank you andrea it's been a pleasure i appreciate the opportunity